Today's show is brought to you by Team Snap. Sign up for a free 21-day free trial at www.tryteamsnap.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! All right, everyone. Welcome to the 72nd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage chilling in Southern Oregon. We're recording mad late, and I'm totally cool with it because I've been playing 2K for about, I feel refreshed. My new mission when I play that game is someone's wearing a Lakers jersey or something Rip City and not wearing actual Rip City clothes, I, I just school them. I just take them. It's like an NBA player going to a high school. That high schooler is, does not have a chance against me. So I, I make all Lakers fans look pretty bad in that game. And we do this for the fans. It is 11-15 on a Monday night. Um, I just got back from my rec league game. Shout out to the Skyhookers for a big comeback in the second half. Down 13. Ended up winning by like 18. Um and I have a 7.30 flight in the morning, so it's going to be an early wake-up call. But it's arguably the biggest game of the season coming up, which we'll get to. So you know we had to talk about the Blazers' performance, and they've been showing out lately. Um, currently tied with the Denver Nuggets. They do have the tiebreaker 2-1 season advantage so far, both teams at 35 and 38. And... Sage, it was an interesting week for the Blazers. I really thought they should have went 4-0, and I know that's probably a lot of expectations coming back into the fold, but when you saw Milwaukee, New York, Minnesota, and the Lakers, that's got to be 4-0. I know the Bucks are playing really well right now. Um, they're 37-36 and 36 and actually creeping up on the Hawks for the fifth seed out east, and you know they were in the lottery for most of the year, and they're doing this with Jabari Parker sidelined, so you know, big ups to, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks who have a really fun young core. But Sage, we had that game. Uh, I just I felt like we came out with so much energy. We were up like eight nothing on the jump. And I was like, OK, I was already worried about this game just because Milwaukee's length gives us a lot of issues. But the way we started out just attacking them because they don't have a shot blocker down low. Um, I thought we had them. Milwaukee just made a run. It was really Chris Middleton. Um, who had those two big threes to end the, I believe, the second quarter that put them up. They they were up 13. They outscored us 30 to 14 in that second quarter. Um, Giannis had, I believe, like 15 of his 22 in, in that second quarter. Um, Middleton ended with 26, uh, 11 of 22. He was a problem, but Portland still had a chance, Sage. We were even up, I think, three with a few minutes, maybe a couple minutes to go, and we just could not get it done. Um, kind of upset at Terry Stotts over this one because he did have Al Farouk Aminu on the sideline. Uh, we went really small. I believe we had Harkless Crab as our, our forwards and obviously Damon CJ. And what they did and what they should have done, Middleton was cooking. They spread the floor and they did like a 1-4 set and they put Middleton on the block and made Crab defend him. That's not Crab's job. He is not going to lock anyone down 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 there that like that. Um. I thought Amina should have been in the game. We had enough shooters in offense. 
Um, and they were doing that that play the same. And if it wasn't Middleton, it was Giannis. So we needed more length. Um, I really thought we should have see, saw more Von Ley down the stretch. He was the only one giving Giannis Antetokounmpo any trouble at all. Um, so hopefully Terry learns from that because... I didn't Milwaukee... like his rotations all game. Because that, that second unit was CJ, Evan Turner, Crab, and whatever bigs needs a distributor. He's a guy who could pass the ball. That second, quarter, that second quarter was awful because we couldn't get an offense started, and it was a lot of fast-break turnovers for Milwaukee. That's how they got it. And then they put Shabazz and Damon, which normally I'm fine with because I like the passing, but putting him on ABC, the Greek freak, putting Shabazz on him was just so unfair. He just Giannis just got in the triple threat and could see over Shabazz like it was nothing. So it kind of confused me, the rotations. And but throughout the game, it was kind of a weird thing seeing these wonky rotations in. But that second unit needs Shabazz in it. I don't know how we put how we play Evan Turner, his minutes, or what happens. But we need someone who's passed first in that second unit to get everything cooking. How do you feel about Terry and, uh, uh, like splitting deep? Well, CJ and Dame up like he's been doing, where one of them is on the court at basically all times. I think in general it's a good philosophy, um, but with Napier playing pretty well, I feel comfortable if they're out of the game together because Napier is able to score, but he's also looking to distribute. And Alan Crabb has just been really looking for his own shot, which he should coming off the bench. So you're essentially getting those those opportunities and you know we think CJ is a great shooter Alan Crabb is top five in the NBA right now in three-point percentage and he's done that over the course of the entire season so you're really not losing too much in terms of just pure scoring ability um, for short stretches of time and I think to your point to the second unit it needs Shabazz Napier because that's where we lost the game mm-hmm. um, you take away you take away Alan Crabb the bench went 0 of 10 two points three assists and had four turnovers that that's not gonna cut it especially when their bench combines for hold on let me do a little bit of quick math real quick 32 points i mean 32 points it that's that's it right there when the starting lineups are as evenly matched when you've got middleton and Giannis um going up against you know damon cj I don't know. I also thought we failed to really utilize Nurkic down low, especially going up against a, a young buck and Thon Maker. Well, Greg uh, Monroe looked like an actual good player in that game. It was it was kind of a weird, sloppy, not well coached game from Stotts. No, but but Nurk was five of nine. You know, another double double, eleven and fourteen. He has to have more than nine shots. Um, that's just that's my point of view you've got to get in more than nine shots and i know dame and i'm not saying dame was the problem at all dame was the reason we got back into the game um i thought he was gonna put on a superhero cape and save us still i mean he almost did he was 31 points seven times you know 13 of 26 the only criticism i will accept of damien Lillard for that game was when we were down three he pulled up from about 30 32 yeah that was a really bad shot that was a bad shot, but at the same time, he's earned the right to take that shot. Um, we may not like it, but if that goes in, we are all singing his praises. Mm-hmm. 
And to be honest, we were really struggling to get good looks the the entire night. We only shot 42%. We only shot 19% from downtown. And we were missing our free throws. I mean, we went 16 of 26 from the line. Did Dame miss two in a row at some point in that game? Yeah, Dame missed three free throws the entire night. And he was coming off of a streak of making like 45 or 48 straight, which is the third or fourth longest in Trailblazer history. So I guess he reverted back to the mean. I mean, he's due to have a bad night at the line. But you combine the really shoddy play of the second unit, um, the missed free throws, and the Milwaukee Bucks really getting into a nice rhythm early on. And, and you know, you're, you're ripe for an upset. And that's what I think it was because I think if the two teams played again, my money would go on Portland. I just think we're going to score more than 90 points. I know their length is is impressive, but we should have pounded the ball down low. And, you know, I love seeing Lillard get get hot like that, but there still needs to to find a way. We, we just have to find a way to get Nurkic more than nine shots. Um, what Milwaukee did, though, was they really shortened the game. Um, cause I'm looking at the shots. We only took 83 shots. Usually we're up closer to 90, 95. Um, and Milwaukee took 90 shots. So that's, that's what they did. They really turned us over. We had 14 turnovers. They only had eight, you know, they limited our possessions. So I'm not faulting Dame at all for taking the 26 cause he was the guy that got us back in the game, but we take care of that basketball a little bit better. You know, Nurk, Nurk is, you know, really, uh, number one, um, offender in this. He had four turnovers. Um, so but again, that's something, if you looked at what he has been in his career, it's something that you are prepared for because he, he contributes in everything else, but turnovers. Oh, co- I completely understand, but I'm saying yeah. that Nurk probably took himself out of those four shot attempts as well. So that's why it's just hard to, you know, go straight by the box where you really have to watch that game and see, you know, Nurk was fumbling the ball a little bit. Like he needs to get better with, um, conditioning. He only played 27 minutes that night. Um, we went small for a stretch, and I really thought we should have kept going small um, down the stretch. Instead of having, I think it was Crab, Harkless, and Vonley, I would have loved it being maybe Crab or Harkless, Aminu, and Vonley. I'm cool could, with Crab playing the four. Except when, but Al Farouk should have been guarding Middleton. Yeah. You know, I mean, put, you know, put Crab on, on Brogdon or Tony Snell or, you know, even John Henson, like Middleton's been very consistently good. This, like, since he's been back, he's been consistently good. So Portland took the loss um, on that night. Obviously, you can't win them all, but I was pretty disheartened to see us only really go one game above 500 at the time at home. You know, our fan support's too good. We've been too good in the past at home. So, if we were going to make this home-friendly schedule matter, and if you want to make the playoffs, you know, you've got to protect your home court. Um, we have not done that the entire year, so we had two more opportunities this um, week after dropping the 93-90 loss to the Bucks. Um, the Knicks, I, I kind of figured this was going to be, you know, a, a clown stomping right here, uh, especially when I heard that Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony were not going to play. It was just a matter of, okay, is Portland going to actually want to win this game and show up? You know, when they did, they led 37-23 after one, and they really didn't let up. It, it got to maybe eight or nine, but you really never got the sense that, you know, a team led by, you know, Hernan Gomez and Ron Baker and Courtney Lee was going to get the job done. They just did not have it. Um, they just don't have the talent. You know, Porzingis is a nice player, but I still think he's he needs to get some structure because that, that franchise is not good for him. No, uh, no, no. There is no distributor to get him the ball. There is no 
flow in that offense. Him and Melo is just such a terrible fit. You've got Melo just isolating and dominating the ball. And Porzingis is really good moving without the ball. You know, you can post him up. Um, he's a decent passer. But the Knicks need to make some moves because that team is a dumpster fire. And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, like I said, Porzingis, really nice player. But that that's not enough. Yeah, I mean, this this like, team looks lottery bound for the next three four years, and then they're like semi good players are all going to be free agents and they're leaving them. Like I know Justin Holiday Holiday's gone. They just need a GM who is not going to try to sell tickets with these signings. That's what he did with the Derrick Rose trade. It was a fucking terrible trade. You're trading Robin Lopez for Derrick Rose, and they gave up a first round pick, um, essentially in in Grant, the the guard from Notre Dame, who had. Blazer fans know him. He had a great game against us back in November uh, in a Chicago Bull uniform. And then they go out and they sign um, Joakim Noah, who everyone knew was washed, just to a max fucking deal because he still has a name. And we keep, we talk about this on the podcast about names. Um, the Knicks are not going to be um, a respectable franchise until they start making good moves. They just strike me as a team that's going to go out and be like, oh, let's get Rudy Gay because, you know, Rudy Gay, people know who he is. I mean, there's not much else to say on Portland's side. You know, the, when the backcourt gets 50 points combined, um, both shoot basically 50%. Uh, Nurk does work 16 and 10. Hunley gobbled up the boards again, 12. I mean, how amazing has he been? He did a really nice job on Porzingis, held him to 8 of 21 shooting. Uh, he's getting one of the better defensive draws every night. And his length and his athleticism, I don't think the, the announcers call that out enough. Um, because he's really been playing some damn good basketball lately, and it's not all going to show up in the box score because, one, he doesn't take a lot of shots, so his points are really never going to be above 10 or 12. But he's rebounding the ball like a motherfucker, and he's just his defense is altering shots. Um, I don't know what else to say, but we saw this back when we beat the Warriors, I believe right after the All-Star break last year. He locked down Draymond. He took out the, the head of the snake, which was green, and... I think he is going to be a key for the Blazers moving forward because you've got actually a legitimate defensive front court. Nurkic is 22. Vonley is 21. People forget Vonley would be a senior at Indiana right now. I think from what I've seen of Vonley the last, like, I think two or three weeks, at worst, I could say he's going to be a a very good defender that is respectable from mid-range out, which... Start like a lot of people didn't see that a year ago or four months ago. So I think his increased, like his his play has earned him the right to be the starter next year. And it makes me think we have three picks: the MLE and the BA. Let's say we sign, we draft a, a big. Do you think we use any other resources in signing another big? After, if, after we draft one? So I think draft, you go best player available. If that's a guard, you take that guard. And I think the draft is going to dictate who we sign. Because draft, I'm all about best player available. And free agency is where I really look to identify some needs. So I would wait and see what Neil does. Is he use all three picks? I don't care if he does. If he thinks this draft is deep and has a lot of value. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But just because Portland's first pick is dropping a bit, Memphis is losing. The Cavaliers are losing. So those picks are moving up, gaining more value. And when you have three picks in a pretty deep draft, 
you know, Portland was never going to have a top five or top six pick, no matter how hard people wanted them to tank. That just was not going to happen. It wasn't feasible with this roster. It wasn't feasible with this schedule down the stretch. Um, and it wasn't feasible with the mindset. They wanted to make the playoffs. So once you kind of remove yourself from that and you start looking at the prospects, probably available eight to 18, there's not a whole lot of difference. And it's all going to be based upon Neil Olshay. And I just, I really trust him with the draft. So if he thinks we need to take a project big, go for it. If he thinks we need to take, you know, a stretch four, I'm, I'm all for it. And then let's let those guys battle it out in training camp. You know, Nurk, Vonley, you guys are on contract years next year. Do you want, do you want your spots? Do you want a big ass contract, you know, in the summer of 2018? Sure as hell they do, but these rookies are going to want to earn their stripes as well. So I think that can only, you know, competition is so important. And we saw that with, you know, I'll go back to USC football, Pete Carroll in the early part of the the millennium. He would have competition Wednesdays. It doesn't matter if Matt Liner or Reggie Bush won the Heisman. You're fighting for your spot every single week in practice. And I think that's the mentality we need to have when we get these young, hungry rookies coming in here. Um, I want to see these guys know that their spot's not guaranteed. And it's only going to push everyone else to their full potential. And I think that's what they need. I think they probably will take a big. So let's just say rookie big, Vonley, uh, uh, Nurk, and then Ed Davis. Do you think we spend a resource in free agency trying to, like, you think we use the MLE on King Joffrey or something like that? Or, because I think for the MLE, you can get... No, because you stole Myers Leonard, and I think... True. So, I think with guard, you can get, like, a... Jeremy Lin, Darren Collison, Patty Mills, Wing, Ian Clark, C.J. Miles, Jonathan Simmons type of guy. Yeah, you get shooters. You load up on shooters. The NBA is based upon shooters. So there was I a would, question uh, asked. It was Sir uh, Franksalot asked it on Twitter. So, Top three realistic offseason pickups trades for backup center. I think it's trash heap, trash heap, and trash heap. If you look at the bigs last year and years prior, there are going to be serviceable serviceable bigs that don't get picked up. If you look at New Orleans, they picked up Terrence Jones and Demo. I think the Blazers should do that. They should wait, see who's available, and take the best available. I mean, Terrence Jones now, people are thinking MLE for him. And a year before, he wasn't getting signed by anyone and took a minimum contract. We can afford a minimum contract big. So if we have the four contracted players and take a chance on whomever the fifth garbage big is, I think that is what we should do and save money and, and save the MLE for a CJ Miles and the, the Bay E on someone like. Yeah, and, and you look at Nurkic, um, a big who is going to get better with a, an offseason of conditioning. He's going to be able to play 34, 36 minutes a night. Um, He's got, he's going to play the bulk of your time at center. You don't really need to devote a ton of resources to backup center, in my opinion, just by the way the the game has changed. Um, I think Myers has been perfectly fine in spot minutes. I'm fine with Myers, 8 to 10. He's played a little bit more confident. Uh, he's rebounding the ball well, and you know he's hitting his three in, in spurts. Um, I think a confident Myers is just as good as anybody else that we could realistically sign. With, with you, the 8 million dollars afforded to us and so then you also have to factor in um the draft there there are three picks in that draft 
Mm-hmm. There are some centers that I really like. I mean, you got Justin Patton from Creighton, Jarrett Allen from Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, I think, Jonathan Jain, uh, the kid Bam. from France. Bam Adebayo from uh, Kentucky. So I think Portland needs to fill that backup center via the draft. If you're going to take or, or all garbage. three picks, yeah. I don't even know if you need garbage, though, because you've got Myers and then you've got Ed Davis still on the books. Um, but I... I mean, it, it's so far in advance. We don't know what Neil's going to do with those draft picks. We don't know what he's going to do with this roster. I think there's a consolidation trade that needs to be made. I think we've all noticed that this is a nine-man rotation-friendly team. Um, any more than that, the ro- roles kind of get um, split too thin. They get muddled, and that's not good. I mean, we it, saw with Myers, man. Once he got that role and knows I'm going to get this 12 minutes, 15 minutes— he was able to settle in and play better than I've seen him play, I think, ever. But So the confidence, the knowing, it, it helps players. So if we have a nine-man rotation with a few rookies that get spot minutes, I think that's that, that's, a, that's a pretty good offseason. And so let's uh, still move on with what happened last week. The Blazers followed that win against the Knicks with a pretty impressive win, I think, against the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves were a team that had beaten the Warriors um, in, in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago. They had been playing some really good basketball. Um, Portland handled them pretty easily. We were up 14 at the break, um, 20 after 3. Um, we ended up winning 112-100, but outside of C.J. McCollum, who had an extremely efficient night, 32 points on 11 of 13 shooting, um, just absolutely ridiculous. I think it was an effective field goal percentage of over 100, something like that, because he got to the line mm-hmm. um, six times and knocked down all six of those. But what I loved the most was our bigs. We had Vonley, Nurkic, and Myers, really, and even Aminu. They locked up Towns and Zhang. Um, I don't know. You've watched more Timberwolves basketball than I have, but when I saw Towns play last year, um, on TV against Portland with the game he hit that game winner. The kid had Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett hybrid, you know, just Hall of Famer written all over him. He hit that game winner. He was just unstoppable. We had no answer for him. This year, and in particular in that game, he looks really mortal, man. Like, mm-hmm. he he looks like he's going to be a perennial all-star, but, you know, I'm I'm not certain I'm, I'm buying that Tim Duncan type of hype anymore. What has happened with Carl Anthony Towns, dude. I was hoping that you wouldn't ask me any questions because this is the one game all year I did not watch because I was in San Francisco helping my uh, grandmother move all all of her stuff. She's not doing well, so this is the one game I have yet to watch. But Carl Anthony Towns, for most of the years, looked very mortal. I mean, he's still like a top five center, but I I. I when I see him, I, I thought that Zach Levine injury helped him a lot. I got to look at this game, but I think he was getting forgotten a lot this year. And with Ricky Rubio now having to force it to him, it looked a lot better. But I, I, I haven't yet to watch this game. Do you think Wiggins is a good fit with him? Um, Wiggins took 19 shots. That He took eight more shots than any other player. Excuse me, six more shots than any other player. Um, only hit eight of them. He strikes me more as a Rudy Gay type player than um, Paul, George. Paul George. Yeah, I mean, he's almost where DeMar DeRozan was a couple years ago, just kind of chucking a lot. Um, not super effective from three, more of that mid-range player. DeRozan obviously rounded his game up and took it to that next level. But 
I think a lot of people expected more from Wiggins, who was not kind of in like LeBron. Like people were calling that the 14 draft, the Wiggins draft. Um, he just looks to me like an okay guy. Like I don't see perennial all star the Wiggins. He might make he might make it one or two two years, but is he a third option in your eyes? I think at, at best right now he's a third option. And yeah. I know again he's super fucking young. Like but, just like Bonway, I mean, he he would be a senior in college. But when you have a guy with that much hype, it, it, it's got to worry you a bit if you're a Timberwolves fan that he's not living up to it. That they they're not really making any push for the playoffs. Hell, they brought in Tom Thibodeau. I mean, they've added lottery pick after lottery pick. You know, Shabazz Muhammad, uh, Chris Dunn, Towns, Wiggins. Um, they drafted well, I thought, with Zhang. Zhang was one of their better draft picks. He was later in that draft. But, um, you know, they even brought in a, a really nice player in Cole Aldrich from the Clippers, who the Blazers are very familiar with after that playoff series. They're playing in five fucking minutes. Like, I, I don't know what is going. Like, the Timberwolves are one of those, like, Indiana Pacer teams of the Western Conference. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? I uh, yeah, that they're one of those teams that is a huge question mark. I honestly don't think Wiggins is that good. I think he scores well because he gets to the line a lot. But you look at his stat line. He was minus fifteen. He had no blocks, just one steal, two assists. The dude had zero fucking rebounds. Dude, you know how athletic he is, and he got zero rebounds. It's That's insane. Unacceptable. Damian Lillard had eight boards. Like, yeah, oh, Damien at six. Damien at six, but still. That, but that's like Derek Anderson numbers. He's just a scorer. I think if they could trade him for a guy that could fill up the box score as a small forward, I think it would help him have a consistent jumper. I know he is young, but you know what? I can point to a bunch of players that were young and stayed where they were. It, it, it's, a lo- it it's not just the fact that they're 22. They have to be hungry to improve. They have to actually be able to improve, hit the shots. I mean, I, like you know Tony Allen shoots thousands of jumpers and still can't hit well. So, it, it I mean, just because he's young doesn't mean he's good. So if you can get Jimmy Butler or something for him, I don't think that's possible. But, like, just a co- more complete player, I think it would help Towns in the long run. Yeah, it, it's they're in a tough situation because you don't want to trade him and have him, you know, really take that DeRozan ascension. But at the same time, every year that he stays at this level, his value decreases, decreases, and it decreases. Um, but that's I feel you know I feel bad for the Wolves, the Wolf fans. Like they've been, they haven't made the playoffs since they traded Garnett. I don't think they made the playoffs since what oh five. So do you think the Denver Nuggets are more scary, or the Timberwolves are more scary? Long term. Long term. Mm. Well, the Timberwolves are about to get this pick. You know, I love this draft if they can find somebody. I still, in my heart, believe that Towns is a better piece to build around than Jokic. Um, I think Denver's having a feel-good year, but at the end of the day, it's not their young guys outside of Jokic who are, who are carrying them. It's like Gallo, it's Wilson Chandler, it's Jameer fucking Nelson. Gary Harris playing well, but if I'm a Nugget fan and I'm seeing like Emmanuel Moutier really getting a bunch of DMPs, that's He's a wasted so lottery pick. A that is a wasted lottery pick. And Jimmy Nelson's, I mean, not going to keep playing like this. And at the end of the day, they're He's still gone. probably, they're still probably going to be a lottery team. Yep, yep. So, so yeah, you're having a, a decent year, but you know, outside of Jokic, what are you going to do with that roster? It, that roster still feels like a little bit of a clusterfuck to me. Absolutely. 
I mean, they need they needed to make a trade for like two straight years. Oh, and they gave up the Memphis pick, which is getting better every day. And they are either going to lose Plumley for nothing or have to pay him fifteen to sixteen million dollars. So have fun with that, Denver. Um, last note on this Timberwolves game: the Blazers shot the fucking shit out of that basketball, sixty three percent. I believe uh, ESPN had a, a thing on the bottom line that said they were like the third team to shoot over sixty percent from from the field this year. Um, just incredible the way they were moving the ball around. Just such unselfishness. I mean, you look Dame eight of thirteen, McCollum eleven of thirteen, Aminu four of five, Crab four of seven. I'm just everyone was hitting their shots. I love the balance. I love seeing Nurt get 14 shots. Um, he only hit seven, but that, I mean that's still 50. percent um, Just, uh, I mean it's it's tough to really find any fault in this game. They could have totally overlooked this team, and we play this team two more times. So this is a great tone setter. Um, and it was nice that the minutes were super low. Nobody played over 30 minutes, which is great because you have a back-to-back the following night against a team you had beat 11 times in a row. A team that didn't want to win. They're resting Mozgov. They traded Lou Williams for a first-round pick. They're not playing Corey Brewer the minutes he probably should be didn't playing. did he start, too? He started, and they rested Brandon Ingram. Um, I think it was an injury um, precaution, but they still rested him. And to be honest, this game was a bit of a snoozer up until that oh, third yeah. quarter. Um, Portland, you know, they were definitely playing down to the level of their competition. Uh, super frustrating because the New Orleans Pelicans, your Pellies, crushed the Nuggets 115-90. to 90. And what's funny is before the game, uh, it's been being reported by, I believe, like Mike Richmond of the Oregonian, so that Damian Lillard texted Tim Frazier and your boo, Anthony Davis, said, hey, I really need y'all to get this win for us tonight. So, and then Tim Frazier said, you're welcome on Twitter. So that was really fun to see. And I Tim was like, the man. I was like, Stotts, call a timeout and tell these motherfuckers that the Pelicans just beat the Nuggets and we can go into a tie for that eight seed if we win. I don't know if that's what happened, but we outscored the, the Lakers by 13, 37 to 24 in that third quarter and really pulled away. Um, it was an, an amazing game. I mean, Nurk had nine and 13. Uh, Damon CJ combined for just 35, so it really wasn't them. But the two players who I thought deserved the game ball, first and foremost, Alan Crabb going home to Southern California, putting on a show in front of friends and family, you know, 18 points, four of eight from downtown, six boards. But the best thing I loved about him, he was catching and shooting, and he was so confident. A confident Crabb no is a dangerous Crabb. I mean, no hesitation at all. And like I said, he's a top five three-point shooter right now, and making Neil and Paul look smart for matching that contract. Again, his numbers are never going to live up to that much money. He's a bench player, but he's turned into one of the elite sixth man in the NBA. And again, he is still a really young talent to have who is locked into a nice um, long deal. I know we're paying a lot, but if he performs like that, we're going to be tough to beat down the stretch. But the other game ball has to go to Noah Vonley. Um, the defense we talked about on Antetokounmpo, um, against Zhang and down and Towns and Porzingis probably had his best night of the week against Julius Randall. He held Randall to four points on two of seven shooting, and he was in his pocket every night. You know, Randall wants to go left. Vonley met him there. Um, you know, it's not going to show up. He didn't have any steals. He didn't have any blocks, but he altered a ton of shots and he really made Randall pass the ball more than he wanted to. 
Um, and he grabbed a career high 14 boards to go along with eight points. Um, I just love the maturation that this kid is showing because, you know, we traded Nicholas Batum for him and I was on board with that trade at the time and it's going to take some time, but Portland is finally starting to, you know, see, you know, reap those rewards for taking a chance on a former lottery pick like Vonley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, I love the way he can move. He's just going to be a good defender. And I know that isn't a sexy as scoring 20 and, but it, 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 but it, it has to be. It has to be sexy because you have Blazer fans who bitch and bitch and bitch about the team having too much offense and no defense. We finally got ourselves a young, really talented defender who I really believe has elite lockdown, first team, second team, all defense potential. I think he's that special in the defensive end with his instincts, with his length, his and his body. athleticism. I mean, he is a prototypical small forward, like 6'9", 6'10", 240, and can move. Um, you remember those late 90s, early 2000s Blazer teams when they had Brian Grant and Sabas and Jermaine and Rashid. I mean, we finally have one of those guys on the defensive end, potentially. Like, we just need a couple more because defense is still where you make your money, Sage. Defense travels. Jump shots don't. Defense can go arena to arena, night to night. It doesn't matter. So after the Blazers picked up a 97-81 victory and your Pelicans crushed the... um. Denver Nuggets, the game that Blazer fans have probably been circling on their calendars ever since Mason Plumley was traded to Denver has finally arrived. Um, and before we get into these next week's slate of games, let's take a quick break from our wonderful sponsors. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Team Snap is offering a free 21-day trial. Team Snap is every coach and parent's dream an easy-to-use, indispensable tool for organizing and communicating every aspect of team life. Sign up for a free 21-day trial in 30 seconds or subscribe to a premium package with added features like unlimited photos and file storage and customization unique to their team. TeamStep also provides a free Android and iPhone app so teams can be managed on the go. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. We are going to dive into this week's slate of games. Up first, we have the Denver Nuggets. And this is, so this would give the Blazers a 3-1 series lead um, in the season. Tiebreaker achieved. If not, it's probably going to have to go down to conference record and a whole bunch of other, you know, random tiebreaker scenarios that I'm sure people will play out on the message boards and Twitter, you know, probably ad nauseum. But if Portland just wins all of that is a wash they have essentially a two-game lead because they would have that tiebreaker and it's a division game and you want to you actually want to beat your division foe exactly and they they play a few you know the season's hot and heavy sage there's only nine games left that's so sad in my i would have to watch baseball for nine games left you have seven on your home court, and I think this game is huge, not just for the obvious reason that it's Denver, but let's say you lose. You know, you've got Houston looming. Houston is such a poor matchup for this team. Um, you know, we can look at Denver's schedule and say, you know, Denver, that's a tough schedule because they kick off a road trip. You know, they kick off a five-game roadie in Portland. They've got So Denver's schedule is at Portland, at Charlotte, at Miami, at New Orleans, back-to-back at Houston, 
home to the Pelicans, the Thunder, and then they finish on the road in Dallas and in Oklahoma City. That is nothing nice right there. I mean, we already saw what the Pelicans did to them. They have not fared well against the Rockets. They lost back-to-back games um, earlier this month by a combined five points, so they were close, and Harden had to go for a combined um, 89 points in those two games. But, I mean, that's tough to have to go on this road trip. Portland knows how difficult it is to play in Charlotte and Miami. So Portland, I think, has a little bit of breathing room. If they do lose to Denver and they do lose to Houston, I don't think it's, you know, sky's falling, we're not going to make the playoffs. Because then you look, for this week, after Houston, you've got the Phoenix Suns, who aren't trying to win shit right now. And then you've got the Timberwolves, who you've already handled. Um, This was the Timberwolves game that was supposed to be played earlier in the year, got postponed due to condensation from Disney Ice. So now Portland's... um, probably playing a back-to-back they didn't want to be playing, but considering where the Timberwolves were previously and where they are now, I think Terry Stotts would make that trade. But let's really dive into the, this Nuggets game. Sage, what are you going to be looking for? So they, all right, top five offensive team, bottom two defensive team. So, I mean, it's just, can we be, can we take advantage of their weakness and play solid defense? Like, Barton can get hot. Gallo can get hot. There's a lot of players on this team that can get hot and just they explode. Hot, and they can also out-rebound you. We saw, we've seen this from the Nuggets. Kenneth Reed has been a problem for this Blazers team. Um, Portland has to box out for Reed. They have to match his energy. And I think what we also have to do is we can't forget about Chandler and Gallo. Mm-hmm. They're not sexy names. They've been around the block for quite some time. But they really have the ability to score 20 plus points, you know, in a half, just like that. Yep. And they can do that from especially those those short corners is where I feel like they're really deadly. And then you have Jokic, who has been a triple double threat for quite some time after the All-Star break. Uh, Sage, do you envision a Vonley or um, Nurkic guarding Jokic? Uh, see, the thing that worries me, I would say Nurkic if it was any other team, like I think he has too much history with Jokic for me to feel comfortable saying he should guard him right now. Yeah, I would put Von Lee on him. Yeah, I think Von Lee is a better match. But I will say, I think Nurkic is going to get busy because Jokic is not stopping him on. I mean, he has to play defense too. So, And he's not a good defender. Yeah, if they start Plumlee, sag the fuck off of Plumlee. Make him shoot a jump shot. I mean, they they know Mason Plumlee more than any other team in the league. They should know how to be able to stop him on defense, offense. They need to make his life miserable. I mean, they know Will Barton. They know a lot of players on this team. It's going to be an interesting battle of styles. I love Gary Harris. I like the wings on the team. It, it's just going to be a fun, just a fun matchup. I know it's so important, but it's this this matchup is going to be fun. And you know what, Sage? I think our boys blitz the hell out of them. I think we win by 20. Really? I think our guys have circled this game. Terry Stotts has said, let's make it so when we play the Nuggets, this game matters. Mm-hmm. Well, it can't matter any more than it does tomorrow night. Yeah. I think Portland is ascending. We've been nipping at Denver's heels for quite some time. I think it's time the tide is about to turn, and our boys are going to be hungry. I think we just dominate. I, I look for Dame and CJ to set the tone, and then once they get hot, we're going to feed Nurk down low, and they're not going to know what to do. 
Crab is going to have a monster night off the bench. This feels like AC could get 20-25. What would you do with Nurk on offense? Would you just say attack, attack, attack? Hope I would get say Jokic on foul, in foul trouble. I don't think I would do that because one, I think he's going to be amped up. So you want to get him in the pick and roll so he can just catch and shoot. I don't want him dribbling a lot where he's letting that adrenaline get the better of him. He's already turnover prone. So Nurk really needs to just calm down, get him those pick and roll touches. Let's make Jokic work on defense. And you know what I've really seen. Um, from Dame and Nurk on that pick and roll is just like you look against the Laker game. They had, um, I think his name is, what is their center name? Zubak. Zubak. What Dame did is they did the pick and roll. He waited until Nurk got parallel with their center and then made the pass. So almost led him like a, a quarterback, what a wide receiver. And Zubak had no opportunity to make a move. He was kind of just stuck. I would get Jokic in that pick and roll, much like we should have done with DeMarcus Cousins, Mm -hmm. and make him defend. If they want to stay with Dame, let's let Dame get Jokic in foul trouble. Let's just let Nurkic finish around the rim. Um, Jokic has been a foul monster this year. So if we can get him in foul trouble, how are the Nuggets going to beat us if it's Herman Gomez, who I like, or Ken Fareed? I mean, this team runs because of Jokic's excellent play. It's no one else. It's all on him. Yeah, and I think the key for Portland is, obviously outside of Jokic, watch out for Kenneth Reed on the boards, but watch out for Jameer Nelson. That dude is a wily vet who mm-hmm. hits big threes in big moments and can keep a team afloat. Um, my X factor is going to be that first quarter. Can Portland just blitz them, get the crowd behind them? Because you know this is going to be a playoff-like type, playoff atmosphere for Absolutely. the fans. If we can just kind of get that snowball effect, I think it could be all downhill for... For the Blazers, um, AC's my my offensive X factor, and overall, just like jumping out to a nice double-digit first quarter lead, and and just only putting your foot on the gas from then on. What's your X factor? I think it would be the interior defense of Nurkic and Vonleh. Um, I I think that staying disciplined on the pick and roll, and basically on defense in general, is going to be a huge key. So I, I, I'm just going to say defense. We have to be able to stop them. I mean, the way that I watched the Pelicans beat the shit out of them was playing really disciplined defense. So if the Blazers can do the same, I think that is going to be the deciding factor in this game. Because I think it will be close. So just stay disciplined on defense. Follow the shooters on pick and pops because Herman Gomez can hit threes. And just shit, let the crowd amp them up a little bit more, and I want to see how Nurkic plays in the first five minutes. You got the Blazers getting the dub? I think so, but it's going to be a much harder fought game than what you're, you're imagining. All right. Um, to me, the most important game is not the Nuggets. It is the Houston Rockets on Thursday. Not only is it a TNT start, but this is a team that since they went with Mike D'Antoni, the James Harden experiment at the, at the point uh, point guard, and then spreading and shredding with you know, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, um, now fucking Lou Williams, who has just been torching the league. Um, they've been a handful for a lot of teams and they put up points and they shoot the three and they get to the paint. They do not shoot mid range shots. Um, they beat us in Houston, one twenty six to one Oh nine back on November 17th. And they beat us in Portland, one thirty to one fourteen back on November 27th. So two things that have stood out. We weren't competitive in either game, and both games happened a long time ago. 
not much has changed for Houston aside from getting Pat Beverly back and, and Lou Williams. Williams. So those are huge changes. But James Harden's still running that show. Portland gives them a much different look. Sage, I just don't know if we have the personnel to match up with Absolutely. Yeah, this is the. I think this team has the most weapons in the NBA right now. I think it's the worst matchup. I would. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just. I, ugh. Obviously, I think a, a Warriors at full strength is the worst matchup. But if you said, you know, you could play the Rockets or you could play the Warriors without Kevin Durant, I'd have to think long and hard before choosing that because we don't have a Wesley Matthews. We don't have a Nicholas Batum to put on James Harden. Um, as much as I love Damon CJ, there's no way they can defend Harden, who is now looking to dish rather than swish. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they have the weaponry to... Once dribble penetration happens, the defense gets sucked in, James is going to kick it back out to an Eric Gordon or Ryan Anderson or a Lou Williams or Trevor Ariza. All of them could shoot. I mean, if the center's off on defense a step, it's an oop to uh, Clint Capella. or It's just a team with so many different counters. And I don't know how the current roster can stop James Harden, which is the, the, the heartbeat. Every, like, that, that is the most important aspect of that team. And he plays every game. And you mentioned this. As soon as Nurk started getting hot, everyone had the Nurk fever. You're like, I want to see how he does against Houston. How does he do against an up-tempo team? Does he fit? Can he, can he keep up? Um, is he going to be like a dinosaur and it's just got not going to look right. Or is he going to be a power imposing his will down low, you know, counteracting Houston's offensive, you know, barrage from downtown with his, you know, just buckets down low. That to me is going to be the story. Um, can Nurkic and Vonley make their bigs pay? Mm-hmm. Because that's one thing Houston doesn't have is a really strong defense in the um, interior. And they don't really have a lot of shot blockers. They've got a lot of scores. So what I'm looking for, I'm looking for a few things. I think Portland needs to win the points in the paint battle. I think Portland needs to limit their turnovers. We cannot let this Rocket team get out on transition because they're going to get open looks from three. And if you've seen their roster and you've seen the way they're shooting lately, it might as well be a layup. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're looking at turnovers and fast break points. But then I also just want to see Portland win the free throw line battle that might be the most Ooh, that that's gonna be tough with how many fouls. it's gonna be tough but that's how you beat the rockets mm. one you slow the game down portland cannot get into an up-tempo pace with this houston team i know portland likes to push but i think you almost have to grit and grind this one find your opportunities pick your opportunities to run um wisely and attack the paint because that's one thing you can do against this houston team you can get to the rim um, slow the game down, really limit the amount of possessions that Houston's going to have because they're going to put up over 100 points. I mean, we already know that. Mm. Um, with that said, who's your X-Factor, Sage? Noah Wanley. I think he actually has to score this game. I think you're completely right. Um, he has to score on Ryan Anderson. That that's Yeah, if, I mean, if, Ryan Anderson's one of the worst defensive bigs I've ever seen. One, I don't think they have two good defensive players. I think they have Clint Capella. So if Nurk is occupying Clint Capella, from what I've seen when I've watched this Rockets team, which I fucking hate. I don't like the way they play basketball. 
I hate it too. I think the James Harden's so good he shouldn't cheat. But um, if I don't think they have a guy that can guard Novonle if he's engaged. The the best they have is Trevor Ariza, but you want Trevor Ariza on one of the active guards. So I think if Noah Vonley can play well, force them to do something on defense that they're not familiar with, that's good. And I think staying disciplined on dribble penetrations, pick and rolls, basically they have to be disciplined on all defensive plays because Harden will find the weakness in that play and just execute really well. I think my X factor is going to be a combination of Maurice Harkless and Alperu Camino. I think Terry Stotts is forced to put one of them on James Harden, and you have to live with Damon CJ on Eric Gordon, Trevor Reza. I mean, I would, dribble but, penetration with Eric Gordon is a winning a win for your defense because he cannot dribble well. So I would if, rather, if he dribble penetrates, that's great. But if he catches and shoots, that is deadly. Eric Gordon has always been a deadly catch-and-shoot player. I would not help out on Eric Gordon's man. Not at all. I, you have to stay home. Give up a layup. You cannot let him shoot. You cannot let him get hot. Um, Same with I Ryan would, Anderson. You know, if they want to let Trevor Reza go post-ups on Damer, fine. Like, Whatever. we'll figure that out. But, like, let's put Chief and Harkless and just hound Harden because he is the, the engine of, of, that, so, of that team right now. What I would do on defense, because I've been I, – I know two of the fucking five more than I think any – I just know that – Eric or Brian Anderson. What I would do is put Dame or CJ and Eric, Mo on James. I'd put Al Farouk on uh, Ryan Anderson because Ryan Anderson cannot deal with the athleticism Al Farouk has, the height Al Farouk has, and the strength Al Farouk has. So if you can frustrate him, you take him out of the game completely. I mean, if Ryan Anderson is posting up and taking an awful fadeaway jumper, which he seems to do every time, that is just gravy. I don't care. But if he's catching shooting from the three, that scares me. So I would put Al Farouk on him have him frustrate the hell out of him. Or, I mean, Noah Vonley could do the same thing, but I, I think Al Farouk would be better. At the end of the day, I have to see it before I believe this one. I think the Rockets are probably <laughs> I think the Rockets win. By uh, 8 or 10. They're, they're that tough of a matchup. I mean, that's the reason they have the third best record in the league. They're not just third in the West. They have the third best record in the league. Um, I think this might be one of the better wins of the year. Portland could get it, but um, thankfully, I don't see any scenario where we play them in the playoffs at any point. Um, it would have to be a Western Conference Finals matchup at this point. So that's you know the percentage is point zero 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 one of that happening. So if you beat Denver and you lose to Houston, that is a win for Portland just because you got that that season series over over the Nuggets. Um, how much rest there, do we have going into that game? Uh, we played Sunday. We played Tuesday against Denver, Thursday against Houston, and then we have Saturday against the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns would not be in the the news have it not had it not been for a couple of incidences. Um, first, they started a team against the Brooklyn Nets that just got thrashed. I think that was younger than the majority of the Final Four or the the March Madness teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're that young. Um, and then also Devin Booker put up 70 points, 51 in the second half against the Boston Celtics. Absolutely I, bananas. I was impressed, and I still am. That is a lot of fucking points. But, you know, I kind of heard they kind of went LaMelo ball type of strategy and, you know, fouled, called a bunch of timeouts to, to boost yeah, up. Yeah, you went like 24 out of 26 from free throw. Yeah, so it's like, okay, you know, 
okay, cool. Gotta give but the young guy credit. He give him give him credit, but I still think they popped off a little bit too much, and they were posing with like the Wilt Chamberlain uh, signs, all smiling afterwards. It's like, guys, you have Didn't like the second. Lose? Yeah, you got first of all, you lost. You have the second worst record in the league. Like, I know you got to find the little things to celebrate, but I, I don't know. That just kind of it was weird that they were that happy after a loss. I don't know why that bothers me. Maybe I'm kind of being an old man right now, but. You know, you had a great individual game, but at the end of the day, you lost. And and I would be more okay with it if they were a decent team and like, okay, you know, we've won our fair share. We can still be happy. But you've lost a fucking ton of games this year, man. Is this and a like, talking stick or is this in the Rose, uh, the Rose Garden? It was at Boston Garden. No, 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 no. The game that we're about to play. Oh, it's it's in Portland. Okay. Yeah, so we're 2-1 and one against the, the Phoenix Suns. Recently, we handled business 110-101. Dame had 39 um, this is a team that doesn't want to win. We know that. They're resting Tyson Chandler for the year. Traded away P.J. Tucker. Um, they're really fighting that Lakers for the two spot going into the lottery. And this is a game where you just need to make sure that Devin Booker doesn't go off. Um, I'm really interested to see this matchup, though, because if you go all the way back to preseason, Vonley put on a show and... Um, the Suns bench, they were talking a lot of shit. Um, they treated that game like a regular season game. I know CJ and Book have had words throughout. You know, Dame and D'Angelo have their mini beef. I think CJ and Book have that I, as well. I think Booker is always trying to be that villain. I think, yeah, he, that, I think he, he, wants gets to, off. he wants to be Kobe. Yeah. I mean, you I, know, good I've seen you. him do a lot of bullshit that pisses me off. Like, he wants to be the guy that the Rose Garden hates. He wants to be that dude. So if he does some dirty shit... Just expect it, because I've seen it, him do it. I've seen him take out dudes that went to his own college. So he wants to be that villain. He wants to be the most hated guy in the motorcycle. Um, yeah, I mean, like him, Warren. Who else is a gonna be? Who's a rotation player? You have to make sure Eric Bledsoe does not. Isn't get he out for the year? Because I, 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 I think he's out for the year. It's it's fucking hard to keep up with this team. Because I, I think he's out for the year because he has a a knee. So I, I think it, it air quote. Yeah, I think it's Ulis and uh, Ronnie Price. This just said he didn't play against the Hornets for DNP rest. Okay, I, I remember reading that he was out for the year, but if I'm wrong, no. But you're right. Um, they start Chris Warren Len. Um, you listen, Booker Lynn did not play in that last matchup. Alvin Williams has been getting double doubles. Alan. Alan Williams, you know, have a couple more double doubles. I'll remember your name. <laughs> I mean, yo, that Ulis, uh, Al, uh, Alan Williams pick and roll really pissed me off that last time we played because we couldn't stop it. But Ulis is a good defender, but he's tiny. He, I, I want yeah, he's like a Tim Frazier, tiny. I think he's much tinier than Tim Frazier, like, he is small. So I want to see Dame or CJ, whoever get, just punish him in the paint, take him in there. Bully ball. I mean, yo, Evan Turner might have a good game if he's. This, this, this is to me. I think the Evan Turner game. You know, yep. we want to see Evan Turner how he fits. Um, you know, that's my X factor right there. I think Portland gets it done. They know these games are too valuable. Phoenix doesn't want to win. Um, There's no incentive for Phoenix to win. None. I think Portland gets it done. I think we get it done by twelve or fifteen points. We just need to make sure Booker doesn't doesn't get off, and you know, really rebound the ball and, and run. Like get get out get out and go, because not only do 
excuse me, not only are the Suns lacking a rim protector without Tyson Chandler, but they're so inexperienced. Marquise Chris may not realize who he needs to pick up in transition. You get young guys who need to kind of match up in transition. Transition defense is a beast of its own. We've seen the Blazers have their struggles, and they played with each other for the past two, three years. So whatever you can do to make an inexperienced team uncomfortable, you do that. You work on offense for a good shot. You run at any opportunity. You really try to pound the glass and you know get to the foul line. Just do these veteran things that we need to do, even as the youngest team in the league. Do the little things. Win that hustle board. Blocks, steals, and rebounds. Portland's going to win this game. Um, you got them winning as well, Sage? Absolutely. I mean, there's no incentive for Phoenix to win. They know that, and we need to take advantage and get stack these wins if we're trying to make the playoffs. And we talked about a couple of these teams, the Knicks, even the Timberwolves, uh, now the Suns. No incentive to win basketball games. Do you think there needs to be a change in the lottery, how it's how it's constructed currently? I personally think it's it might be worse than teams resting players right now, um, and that by playoff teams. Uh, excuse me. What, I wanted to get your thoughts before I really went went in. Hmm. I I just don't know how. There's so many ideas on how. To improve it, and I just I, I I don't know how you can do the the lottery better. I mean, I have good feelings towards it because Anthony Davis is a Pelican, so I I really I the the Cavs thing pissed me off. I I remember that, but like I, I don't know how you fix it. So how how do you propose to fix it? One, and there's a couple methods I think. One, I, I think you need to draw for the top five or six picks instead of just going the into three. the top three. Two, and I think this is the most rational way of doing it, you need to evenly distribute those chances. You cannot have the team with the worst record have a 25% chance at landing the number one pick and the team with the 14th best record less than a half, you know, not even a half a percent I chance. I think it's like point three or something, yeah. It's utterly ridiculous that a team that doesn't make the playoffs, um, but they're, you know, they're still a bad team. And we talk about being stuck in mediocrity is just as bad as being at the bottom. So why not even these out? Um, I know there are statisticians out there, but you even go to the. I mean, I think it. You have to be. You have to have the tenth worst record to even have a percent chance at landing the number one pick. Mm. That's unacceptable, and I think. You give teams way too much incentive to lose games, to put a shitty product out there on the court, to shut down players, and to really fucking throw in the towel after the All-Star break. I think that's a terrible idea. I love the draft lottery. I do not think they should adopt the NFL's model because that would just be blatant, full on. I mean, you would have teams probably start doing that in January. Yeah, like, you know, uh, there's rumors that the, the the Kings might sign Hinky. Hinky would be all over that. So, I mean, I, I don't know how to incentivize teams to put a good product on the floor when, like, this draft is going to be good in theory. I, That's it, why I think you, you just make the chances so it's not so – so if you have the, the worst record, there shouldn't be a 20%, 20, 25% gap between you and the 10th worst record because we're looking at the worst record, and right now it's the Brooklyn Nets. Um 
the 10th worst record right now, according to Tank- Tankathon, the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, Brooklyn has... First of all, Brooklyn's not even going to get there. Yeah, Boston's going to have it. But Brooklyn has, you know, Brooke Lopez, Hollis Jefferson, Sean Kilpatrick. The Mavericks have Dirk, who's probably going to retire in a year or two. Harrison Barnes, Seth Curry, Wesley Matthews. Yes, Dallas has a better team, but not a 25% better team that should sway in Brooklyn's favor to get a top pick. You know, these teams are lottery teams for a fucking reason. They all have major, major flaws. And I just think if you gave teams more of an incentive to not tank, it's not necessarily win, but it's not to just blatantly tank, you're going to see better basketball. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to matter, Sage, if the Phoenix Suns are playing the Trailblazers on April 1st. It, it's going to matter. Um, what I like about baseball Obviously, the, the draft is completely weird because you could take a guy number one and not sign him and you lose that pick and they've got like a 80 million rounds. But there was a couple scenarios a few years ago where one team needed a victory to either force a playoff or get into the playoffs. The team they were playing, completely out of it. However, the team that was completely out of it still put a solid pitcher. They played their their guys. They played to win that game. They had zero incentive, but they played for pride. And I think there just needs to there needs to be a way that that, that pride matters. And, and I think it is, it's not just completely saying, okay, all 14 teams, you have the same chance at getting the number one pick. Cause I don't think that's fair. I mean, like that's not fair either, but I think the Lakers would have a much better record if, if that's possible. There's no way they're 21 and 52. There's no way the Phoenix Suns are shutting down everybody. The, the same, the same thing with the Knicks, the, the Timberwolves. I mean, you're just looking at it. Um, I just think that the blatant tanking needs to stop. And I don't blame the teams for doing it now because that's the way to succeed. So I mean, don't... Like, I mean we've, we've talked about how important the draft is and yada, yada, yada. If you have the 10th pick, you have like a 30% chance at a usable player. So I, like top five is where you need to be. So and, I, I, and... I don't know how you improve the chances of like a, a decent team getting a shot at the top five. I, it, it, I'm not in charge of the fucking league, and I, I'm so happy about that because I, I would not know how to how to make that portion of the game better. You know, another scenario is, and I'm not as sold on this one, is taking the past two or three years and averaging out the record. So if you've been shitty for a long time, if you really want to do that tank for that long, okay, you get rewarded, but then you also have a scenario where Kevin Durant leaves the Thunder. Let's see, you know, Russ gets hurt and they're really in the top three pick, but you're factoring in Kevin Durant's record with OKC the previous year and that pushes them down. So I don't like that. I've seen that floated around. I just think you just need to evenly distribute um, the or percentages. Make it more even. Yeah, but just not di- evenly, but it, it definitely needs to be more of a... So like oh, give the, the 14th team like 8% chance? You know, a couple percent. Like, there's, four, you know, fourteen can go into a hundred, a few, a few ways. Um, but there just needs to be a little bit more. And I think you would, you'd still see tanking, but I don't think it would be on this level. And I don't think teams would be scrambling to get as high up in the lottery as possible, especially if you're, you know, you're drafting for the top five instead of the top three. And like you said, you're giving the fourteenth team like a three or four percent chance rather than. Can I be honest? Percent. I don't really give a shit about tanking. 
I do. I think it's I, terrible. Because I, I don't buy tickets to games. I just but you afford. don't, but other people other do. Other people do. So, it, it, like, at, from my perspective as a person who lives in a shitty town for a little bit longer, I'm, I don't care. I mean, but at, I, as a I, fan I buy... who watched, so not only do I have half-season tickets, but I watch every game, that Knicks game was boring as fuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the Blazers, and I'm glad they won, but I was like, I knew we were going to bowl them out. They, they're resting everybody. Same thing with the Lakers. Like, it, March basketball is just so trash for the NBA. You've only got a couple of teams really playing for something, and I mean, I think the NBA needs to fix this and fix it quick because the cable money is coming in, but more and more people are cutting their cable, so... How do you keep eyes on there? Well, you have a good product. So people are like, you know, I'll either I'll keep the cable mm. or I'll, I'll find a way to maybe there's a streaming package that comes on. But if you're a casual NBA fan, you probably like, no, I'm just going to not pay for, for March. No, I'll come back when the playoffs start. Yeah. You know, I don't think the NBA or cable companies want to go a full month, one of the more action packed months in terms of games into a 31 month week, 30 day, 31 day week month. Excuse me. Oh, it's late. It's, it, it's Tuesday. But that's just where I think it needs to be fixed. And that, just on a strictly competitive, overarching level, you know, I've said this kind of, this will be my last point. It just needs to be a little bit more distributed. That, that's all I'm saying. Because I think the worst team has a 25% chance, but even, there's a chance that they might even get the fourth pick instead. Yeah, you know, I that think it's might, like 10%. Yeah. So if you can scare them into saying, "Hey, you might actually get the six pick if you're playing for the top five, then there's you know, well, I mean, the it'd be possible for them to get the fourth. Never mind, whatever. I don't know. Maybe there's Math maybe sucks. there's maybe there's punishment for ending with the worst record in the league. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's fair either. Like you said, it's a tough thing to do. Um, it's very subjective. But um, my scenario, let's just even it out a bit. That way, if you end up with the eighth pick going into the lottery, you're feeling pretty good rather than it's going to take a goddamn miracle. Because <laughs> you look at the, Sa- the Sacramento Kings are just as fucked up as the Brooklyn Nets. More so. Yeah. But, I mean, that, <laughs> that owner mixed with the decision-making of the, the GM and the last... Ugh. All right. Uh, one more thing on the draft. Although Portland's pick is dropping right now, currently it would be tied with Miami for 15th. Um, Memphis is losing a fuck ton, and they are only two yeah, games. They got blown ahead. out by New Orleans, didn't they? Yes, they did. They are only two games ahead of Atlanta, Milwaukee, and Indiana in the loss column. Currently, they're sitting at 20th. That looks like a safe bet because they're three games behind OKC for 21. And then the sneaky pick, which I keep watching, the Cavs keep losing. So right now, Boston is now the top seed out east. Portland's pick, which many thought would be 30-29, is now up to 26. I know that doesn't make a whole lot of difference for a lot of people, but the higher that pick goes, even by one or two spots, the value increases. So you're giving Neil just that much more um, at his disposal come June. So um, keep an eye on Toronto. They're only... um, three back keep an eye on washington they are only two back um it can happen the Cavs don't give a shit about playoff seeding right now um and they're kind of in, in a whirlwind so you know if we could if we could land end up with like you know 1920 for memphis 
26 for that that Cavs pick, and then you know we're at 15. That's a pretty good value, my friend. I want to pack. If the man, it's a deep draft. Do not fall to the temptation of packaging for one player. I would because just I. I'd, I'd look at all those like percentage of, of a draft pick and all that shit. You can't look at the percentages because not the reason I don't like that is because the same GM, the same scout was not making every one of those picks. You've got ulterior motives going in. Oh shit, our roster's packed. I need to find a euro that I can draft and stash. Oh man, my owner really wants me to put people in the seats. I better go, you know, draft Jimmer for debt. He's you know, Jimmer Mania has taken over. You have to, I think. Not just look at the overall, you know, the tenth pick has a eighty percent chance or thirty percent chance of a serviceable player. You have to look at Neil O'Shea's track record. I think, and what has he done? He has found gems in the second round, but he's also drafted well in the lottery. So I think Neil O'Shea is the X factor in, in terms of the draft because um, there's just so much depth. And you know, yes, if there's a guy O'Shea wants and he packages up for him, I feel one hundred percent confident doing that. But just looking at these draft boards, if we stay where we are, maybe package two of them to move up. But there's just so much talent that Portland could get. I mean, we're looking at... What does Sankathon have for our picks? They have um, OG Ananobe, the small forward who actually is out for the year um, from Indiana. Kind of reminds a little me a little bit Chief Aminu. Um, they have Bam Adebayo with a 20th pick, center out of Kentucky. Um, raw offensively, but just like a Bismack Biambo type of force, you know, defensively and on the glass. And then they have um, the Villanova guard uh, Michael Bridges at 26. But even around those not spots, Jarrett Allen, that freshman center from from Texas, who is going to be, I think, if you give him a couple years, he could be one of the steals of the draft. They have him at 25. And then they also have um, Jonathan Jean, um, that center from from Nancy in France, who's seven two. He just and needs and you know that there's gonna be the Malcolm Brogdon that slips. Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, you got Josh Hart, that 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 senior from from Villanova. Um, Mon- Monty Morris, uh, point guard from Iowa State. Dylan Brooks from Oregon. Like you've got players. My namesake. Who, you've got players who can get buckets. I mean, they have. This is what blows my mind about this draft. They have Caleb Swanigan, who I think is going to be a first-round pick, but they have him going 32. He put up 19 and 13. I like him a lot. 6'9", 250, just a bull of a power forward. And they have Jonathan Motley, who I think could really be a Kenneth Reed type of power forward um, in the league, 6'10", 230, who averages a double-double as well. Do you think Swanigan's going to be a garbage man, or do you think he'll actually be able to do something other than that? I think he might be a garbage man with a touch. Yeah, like... Some post moves. Yes, some post moves. I mean, I just... You look at the players. I mean, Jordan Bell at 35. Justin Jackson was the first-team All-American at 34. Um, a guy who... We were ta- we talked about sleepers last podcast. Cinderius Thornwell. If you haven't had a chance, watch this kid from South Carolina. He's 6'5", 215. The dude gets after it. Like, he reminds me a little bit of Wesley Matthews with how he gets after it on the defensive end. So... You just see all these players, and it goes on and on. Alonzo Trier from Arizona, um, if he declares. They have him going like Frank Mason, who could be the player of the year, who's going to find a spot in the NBA at 48. Um, I could go on and on. This draft is so deep that if we package all all three, we better buy a second-round pick or two because there are some players that I want to fill this roster out with because I have not been excited about a draft class like this probably since... 2012 was top heavy. 
So maybe 20, 2008, 2008 or 2012, one of those years both had, you know, some real good picks. Um, but probably 2008 because Nicholas Batum was okay. late. Uh, Serge Ibaka was really late. Um, and then you've got just, you know, the plethora of star talent up above. Like, I was really hoping Russell Westbrook would slip, but he went up. You know, we ended up being Jared Bayless, who I was stoked at the time we got. He was a uh, projected lottery top five pick that fell to us. Um, that was the Derrick Rose draft. I mean, there was just so much talent. But it, it was that back end draft with, with Batum and Ibaka that really kind of gets you going because Portland's going to have a couple picks down there. You're going to have to make them count. Um, that's just why I would be a little leery of packaging them. But again, if you can, you know, you're like, Neil's like, I want Jason Tatum. I can move all three to get him. Do, do you, Neil? Um, but Sage, I think that about wraps it up for the night. I got to get up way too early, uh, this morning. Um, so thank you all for listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, if you like what you're hearing, definitely subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us that five-star review. We really appreciate it. Um, if you don't, you know, have iTunes and you just prefer Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play, you can find us there at Holy Backboard PDX. We are also on um, Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram at Holy Backboard. Sage, let's get this victory against the Nuggets. Let's set the tone, and let's just have fun the rest of the year, man. And shout out to Eminem for sponsoring our uh, bracket challenge. I suck. I changed my name to the Sage sucks. Uh, He's just a beast. So if you need any uh, graphic design work, if you want to buy some art, hit Evan up. He goes above and beyond for us. He will go above and beyond for you. He's the man. Hit him up if you've got any of those needs. So currently, um, Jay Cordano 5 is leading right now in the bracket. I don't have a chance. Um, a lot of people look like they pick Kansas. Um He's got Oregon winning it all. I am tied for sixth. Ugh. Um, not looking good. Where am but I? You are eight. Nice. But you have no points remaining, so you cannot so move up. So my mom is in 12th place. Shout out to her. I love her so much. All right, Sage. I think that about wraps it up. Um, let's have a great game against the Nuggets. Let's have a great week. There's nine games left. Cherish these games. This team has shown, you know, a heartbeat. Let's definitely keep it up. Um, the playoffs look a lot more fun than they did a few weeks ago. And I can't wait to see Von lay on the big stage, Nurk on the big stage. And let's see what Damon CJ can do again. Um, it all starts though Tuesday Sage. Let's get this victory. Have a great night. Thanks. Thanks again for being the best producer in the game. And as always, go Trailblazers. And leave us a nice review. That too. Come on.